you have, you know, nervous system, muscle and skill, and you don't start really hammering out those high skill understandings and really developing your craft, especially from a baseball lens until you're getting a little bit older, but that's where it starts getting easier to make those pitch grip adjustments, to make those biomechanical changes, to make the, the strength and conditioning changes, which is why the older you are, you should have a lot smaller window of expectation of how long that should take. Hey, this is More Than Velocity with Jordan O'Seguera, Ryan Croton, and I am Bart Pear, and today we are going to go through the what, why, and how of baseball player development plans. Uh, I'm just going to jump right into it. Jordan, I know this is, um, this is something you've got a lot of experience with and take on, so um, let's, let's get going starting with what a player development plan is or at least should be. For sure. Um, obviously, it's very multi-dimensional when it comes down to a player development plan uh, for me the first place you always need to start is where that player's at physically on what's going on um, and because ryan that's obviously your background you're probably going to be able to give a lot of information on that physical aspect of a player development plan yeah um you know i think about this holistic approach though it's multi-dimensional and the first thing that you want to start with is availability um, and with availability it leads everything you, you need to understand, you know, is the player in pain um, or do they have dysfunction? You know, and this is where our app fits in really well is that we start that with the apex that we need to remediate dysfunctions in the athlete. We need to improve. It might be mobility driven or range of motion driven, but that's the first place you should go. The next avenue that you should evaluate in your athletes. And we, we also have this as part of our app is examining wellness. So you need to understand their habits, their behaviors, you know, whether they are nutritionally doing the right things, are they sleeping well, are they hydrating, um, where's their psychology at, um, they're healthy, are they maintaining a healthy weight, do they have the right body uh, composition. These are all in the wellness area that has to be observed too because it Im impacts performance. Then we look at in strength and conditioning, we look at the readiness and, and usually this is around strength, speed and power. And so you're going to be, you know, finding metrics about those particular things and you know a lot of a lot of uh sports scientists today and and even coaches they're using force plate data uh and looking at the uh, mechanics of a vertical jump and you could utilize that to examine you know something like lower body power that might need to be remediated that may be impacting shoulder strength so you got to think if your if your lower half is not explosive and it's not endured um it doesn't have high strength you're probably going to compensate and increase the effort level of your upper body. And then you got to look at workloads. So we got availability, availability, wellness, readiness, and workload. Um, and that's when you need to see, you know, pitch counts and your throwing volumes and all of those things that may be contributing to the pain and dysfunction um, of the athlete. Um, the, the fifth is mechanics. And we've talked about this before is that, you know, we always want to start with a strength perspective. So now mechanics come in. You know, how is this athlete moving as far as what we need to, uh, you know, to improve upon um, with the athlete? And, you know, you, there's lots of technologies that people use to analyze, you know, video, whether it's edutronic cameras or they're using 3D motion capture technology. Um, there's, there's lots available. And then it's the metrics. You know, we, we also have to follow up with the metrics. Is, is the athlete performing well competitively? You know, so that that wheel 
Um, and this is something that we're going to really go into once we release our master level trainer course in the future. We're going to make sure that coaches are fully aware of the inputs of those areas. So this is really, um, you guys like to call it player first. You're really taking an honest and hopefully as objective as possible assessment of where they are first um, and then using that to figure out where there's room for development instead of, I don't know, a kid coming in saying, I need to throw 90 miles an hour and you're just going to jam that kid into that, that development plan. Is, is that kind of the, the core principle here? Yeah. I mean, we call it the player first approach because, you know, we've just talked about the, the multi-dimensional monitoring and that's the first piece. You know, we have to observe data on the athlete first. You know, for instance, if an, if an athlete is not showing any pain, not showing any dysfunction, is performing really well, it doesn't make a lot of sense to make changes with that athlete. You know, especially, you know, there's, there's some athletes that um, perform above the averages for those leagues. Like we don't want to do anything that may hold them back and, and potentially cause an availability problem. So we, we need to get the, the monitoring strategies objective as possible. And then, you know, the next wing is communication. So there's observation, communication, and this is where coach and player communicates. And this is where coach and coach communicates and coach and administration, you know, of your player development staff, if you're in pro ball, um, those, those uh, discussions have to happen based on this data so that they can understand to derive a plan. And then the third step is the implementation. So you got observation, communication, implementation is where you need to figure out how you're going to roll out the appropriate plan. Um, and then the, the fourth stage, which is critical, is the evaluation. You have to give yourself some kind of time frame for which you go back um, and evaluate. And I think I'll, I'll roll it over to Jordan because we've had lots of discussions on evaluation and, and you know what kind of time should be taken in terms of understanding you know if something's working or not. To put a little more more depth onto that as well is I just like to say it, you know, from the coaching standpoint, we have a what, a why, and a how, and then we have to evaluate just like you were saying of what we we're doing. So to give an example of it, you know, the what would be, you know, a lot of times coaches want to change a stride angle. You know, they, they, they think the stride angle's off and that's where the what we filter that through that, uh, the physical standpoint. So all of a sudden if we find out a guy has really tight hips or if we find out that his hips are inverted or everted, he may be striding naturally based on what he's doing. So let's say that this guy's stride angle has changed and we want to get it back to where he was. So what? We want to get his stride angle back to where it was. Why? Because we've seen a regression in his kinematic sequence and we, we believe it's because he's changed his stride angle. The how are we going to do it? That's where we put out the drills or conditioning procedures or modalities to get him back to where we think he needs to be. And then the most important aspect, just like you said, we got to evaluate. You know, even if we get this guy moving or changed back to what we believe is optimum, but he's, you know, lessened his strike percentage, he's lowered his swing and miss, and he has, you know, increased his pitches per inning by five pitches per inning, we're probably not doing this player anything positive. We're doing him a disservice more than anything. So we really need to evaluate the changes we're making because even though we're coaches, we're not always going to be right. Even doctors are not always going to be right on what it is they're evaluating. And doctors have that built into where 
they need to keep adjusting and pivoting when when something's not working. So just because you're a you know professional and a leader in your field doesn't mean that you're always going to be right. And that's a big thing is you have to evaluate what you're doing, why you're going to do it, how it's going to be done, and then most importantly, what are the results I'm getting? Because you know not every time, but a lot of the time, it's not the result we're planning on. And I think it's really important to have very clear, specific goals of what the outcome of your prescribed change is going to be. Uh, you know, just to give a real short example, if you say I'm prescribing A because my what, why, and how, my expected result is we're going to increase velocity by at least a half mile an hour as well as increase swing and miss percent by three, three percent increase. If you're not attacking those goals, you're probably not getting the right prescription in place. So does this vary? I would assume it doesn't vary depending on the level, the age. If you're working with a player who's 12 years old, you know, do you, maybe it's not as easy to measure, evaluate objectively at the end that your, that your change is positive. Plus those players are, their bodies are changing, you know, all the time as well. So where does that kind of monkey wrench go into, to that level? I mean, obviously you're dealing with 24 year old or whatever. It's a little different, but, but when you're dealing with a kid who's, who's growing, um, how can that, how do you take that into account with these player development plans? I mean, for me, so, you know, we've come at it from a professional model and we've had a lot of discussion in terms of what happens in amateurs, youth and adolescents primarily. You need to give them a little bit of time in which you make your determination when something's wrong. Obviously, when when pain and dysfunction come up, um, you know, you got to attack that right away. Um, but if you're seeing poor performance, no pain and dysfunction, you need to give the athlete, you know, I would say about a good month. You know, uh, if it's a starting pitcher, it would give them four outings for you to really determine, you know, what needs to potentially change about the athlete to improve performance. But we talk about in in the professional world, there's a sense of urgency. So anybody's definition of a great coach can be one thing or another. But mine is the great coach is able to affect change in a positive manner in a positive manner as fast as possible. There's, there is an, an urgency about it. So in professional baseball, you know, typically you would use two outings, you know, or two times that a pitcher, you know, makes an appearance to determine, is this guy not performing well? And you couple this with pain and dysfunction, you know, also having this two consecutively, you know, two consecutive issues. A guy might have had a 10-day uh, IL stint, you know, he's good for a couple weeks and he goes back on the shelf for the same problem you need to get in there and and make those necessary changes and and when you get to the evaluation process for these athletes this is where it gets challenging um you could have a lot of different conversations than we did in professional baseball between coaches and they are not really aware of what's a suitable amount of time to uh, allocate to uh, a performance approach um some some coaches said you know what if we give them a drill a bunch of drills and their drill package we expect to have performance improved in a year, you know, and then there are other coaches that would look at this and be like, man, it takes a year for this, this pitcher to be able to improve or a hitter even to be able to improve their performance. It's going to take a year to me in the professional world. That's not really feasible um, because if the, if the athlete isn't performing well over the year, there's a good chance he's going to get demoted and he's going to be released. 
So we, we need to do something more uh, urgent for them. But when it comes to an adolescent athlete, it may take a year because you are, you know, training them and they're developing strength. Um, we've also talked about this, this strength first uh, approach to things. Um, you know, training an athlete that doesn't have a suitable training age, you know, it could take a little while um, for you to see the, uh, the impacts of the programming. Yeah, the younger a player is, the more time is going to play a factor. And as a player gets older, obviously that time window gets a lot shorter of what is expected to have a result. Um, younger players, you know, you're referencing the 11 year olds, 12 year olds, things like that. Their bodies are so different every day because they're continually changing, they're growing. You know, bone lengths, muscle, like everything's new. Every day they wake up, it's just a, a borderline a brand new human being every day. Um, but once you start getting into that college age, you know, if you if you go in and you talk to, you know, whatever whatever school it is, there you tell that head coach it's going to take twelve months from today to get our Friday starter back on track. That ain't going to do it. You know, you don't have time for that. It needs to be a shorter window to see a positive change. And then you get into you know the major leagues. It it can't be a twelve month period for this change to affect because. I mean, at the major league level, now you're talking the millions of dollars that you're costing per bad outing when it comes down to it of what's being invested, not just in players, but in all the other resources that go into it. So at the high school level, things like that, the reason those changes should be taking a little more time, like Ryan said, probably more than 80, maybe 85% or more of those are going to be strength-based issues for why there's inconsistency. But as you start getting older, your strength bases kind of start leveling out. Am I right on that, Ryan? Your strength is going to kind of level out as you get older? Yeah, so yeah, for sure. Your max strength can improve, but your elasticity, your power can can significantly decline, you know, as you get out yeah. and get older. And another good way to look at it is you start looking into the the skill training and windows of trainability and you have, you know, nervous system, muscle and skill. And you don't start really hammering out those high skill understandings and really developing your craft, especially from a baseball lens, until you're getting a little bit older. But that's where it starts getting easier to make those pitch grip adjustments, to make those biomechanical changes, to make the, the strength and conditioning changes, which is why the older you are, you should have a lot smaller window of expectation of how long that should take. So if it is a mechanics change, you want to, you want to you know, the big word right now is hinging. You know, it's, we, you want a pitcher to hinge a little better. For a 12-year-old, that might take four weeks. For a 23-year-old, it better not take more than seven days to get some kind of improvement on that because you better have the understanding of what that guy's doing because their body's a little more leveled out. Uh, so you really need to put time timestamps on that of what your expectation is. And if you're not getting there, then you need to readjust your, your planning of it. So are you... I would assume you're communicating with the player these time frames as well, that they have some kind of expectation. I mean, you, we talked before about the players. They need to be asking why. Anytime a, any coach is asking them to do something different or whatever, they need to be asking why. But, um, I mean, I'm answering the question, but but obviously they need to be involved in this whole process of, of what your goals are in the time frame. For and sure. How you're going to get there. I couldn't agree more on that. And like you said, we've discussed it in the past, but – the more a player's bought in to whatever the what, why, and how is, the better off that change is going to go. Ryan talked about the psychological aspect of it a little earlier. You need to be psychologically, you know, mentally and emotionally bought into what's going on or it's not going to happen either. 
Um, so again, one of the big things you always hear in, in all levels of coaching is, oh, that player's just uncoachable or he doesn't want to listen. When in reality, all that means is we as coaches or communicators have to do a better job of relaying the what, why, and how. You know, it's not because the player's, you know, miserable to work with. You know, some of the best coaching experiences I have had have been with, you know, quote unquote, difficult players because they make you be better communicators. They make you explain things in a way that they understand. So if Ryan explains something to me of why it is he's going to, you know, try to increase my vertical jump power and I don't understand it, that's not my fault. Ryan has to do a better job of explaining it. Uh, so, you know, the better you can communicate that, the better off the player is going to be bought in. The better buy-in you have from the player, the better that result's going to be. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, you hit it on the head. We talked about the COVID season a couple podcasts ago, but that was one thing I really realized is how little our players understood why we were testing them in certain ways. Um, and, you know, to have the, the communication with them and understand, like, you know, I need to make some videos on this stuff, some quick videos that we can text out to players or put them on a on a platform for them to view, the better buy-in you're going to get from them. And then they also, you know, communicated what they didn't understand. And, um, you know, a great coach allows the platform for their athletes to be able to, you know, communicate when they are not aligned with an approach. I mean, the, the way we did it, it was, uh, you know, sports science collected the data. There was then a communication that happened with the, the, the administrators, the player development directors, the coordinators, uh, the people in charge of these different skill uh, areas. Um, and then it included the, the affiliate coach who's working directly with that player. So, you know, they kind of, they get uh, their say in how this how this plan should be run and then it goes to the player and the player had the final stamp they're the ones that be able to say yeah this makes sense to me um i want to i want to take this on i want to change i understand you know these what why and hows of you know how we're going to go about this i'm fully aware um and uh you know then we then we initiated them there was all those different layers if it gets dispelled from the coach and if you're a coach that you don't believe you're a consultant and you think that you're the be all and end all of coaching, you got a problem because your players are going to get turned off. You, you need to have that two way communication and say, hey, I'm a resource for you. And uh, they might have learned things from other coaches that they really hold tight, you know, and you got to work around that um, and you got to understand there there's some some influences that they've had that you might not budge on and you have to be adjustable. The coach has to be flexible. Um, and, and meet the players in terms of what they need. So, and I'm going to put you guys on the spot here, but you don't have to name names, but give me an example of, you know, a development plan you guys implemented, why, um, what were kind of some of the drills you were doing, what were some of the things you, and we've got in our notes here, we're talking about tools needed and who had to get involved and stuff. Kind of just lay one out and uh, and just say what you were trying to achieve and how it, how it worked out so we, we get a better understanding of how you've done this in the past. You mind if I kind of hop on that one to go start ahead, it off, man. Ryan? Yeah, go uh, ahead. You know, so to give an example, one that's you know relatively recent is we had a player that we saw was you know lowering his strike zone percentage. His swing and miss percent was going down. And he had a slight decrease in fastball velocity. So we saw some things that were kind of triggering some warnings. 
So, you know, we saw some changes in the mechanics as well. So what we did, you know, was we used some dynamometers. We tested him. We did see a decrease in strength. So we think this is probably going to be a fatigue point. But with where we were, we knew we couldn't really take him out of competition. There was teams asking about this particular player for a trade. So we couldn't remove him from competition. So what we did, we went in town. We did the assessment. We put in a modified throwing schedule. So we were going to lessen that throwing volume to make sure we're going to bounce that player back for his comp competitive aspect. Then we also added in some drills to start cleaning up that kinematic sequence really quick, really hammered that out fast, get the nervous system firing so that way those muscles are going to know what they need to do. Then we altered his training to get him a little bit more explosive. And I think the word would be you want him to increase his elastic properties so he's, yeah. he's a little more springy. So yep. more elastic properties, whatever that means, you know. Uh, Ryan will explain that, I guess. Um, so he was losing his ability to generate force rapidly. And then yep. that, in turn, was causing him to have to compensate with the way his biomechanics were working, which those two things resulted in a decrease in all those previous metrics. So we went in, put something in place, in a sense, not really putting a Band-Aid over it, but starting to patch up the cracks, slowly but surely. And then once we got to a point where we knew if this player was still going to be with us or not, then we hammered that uh, result out a lot more aggressively on the planning. But again, we went in, we explained to the player, what are we seeing? Here's, a, here's where we're seeing decreases. Why are we seeing that? Well, we're seeing a decrease in your jump. We're seeing a decrease in all your strength measures. And we're seeing a decrease in your biomechanics in this range. Well, how are we going to do it? A, B, and C. Let's go get it. He was bought in, and we had a good result out of it. Yeah, my my particular experience uh, was really interesting because there was a player at the major league level who tweaked his back, and he was not performing well at all. And he is a great athlete and, and really had uh, tremendous success in his past, and he's older. And we saw this as a window to say, you know, I talked to the front office, and the front office said, you know, we, we need this player to get back to where he was. Um. And uh, we're going to extend his uh, IL time, his injured list time, so that you can work with him. So that's another important thing is your, your organization has to give you the time to work with the athlete. Um, and we, we were uh, able to do that. And, I mean, it was amazing. We strapped him up to technology. We, you know, and so sometimes major league players are really worried about that kind of thing. And, you know, he was compliant and, and really loved it. We were able to see some issues that we had in his separation angle. Um, ju just like Jordan said, we did a full evaluation of their strength. We do that all the time. It starts there um, because fatigue could be, you know, a big issue and, and he may need a recovery throwing program. But there was some separation angle uh, issues and his ability to have the stabilization to hold his trunk back. So we created a whole strength plan for that. Um, that advanced his velocity uh, and command and, you know, his pitch qualities were getting better as well. Um, and, you know, uh, we talked about the vertical jump and elasticity, but this particular athlete who was over the age of 30 wasn't getting over a credit card. I mean, he couldn't really jump well at all. And, uh, you know, we, we got him doing much more elastic work. So high velocity type of jumping where we assisted the jumps, pulling him with bands, doing some of those things. Um, reducing his ground contact time. So if he stepped off a box and had to jump, we wanted to reduce the time that he needed to coordinate a jump. And that increases the, the stretch reflexes of the, of the athlete. And, uh, you know, velocity came back up and unfortunately he got hit around a little bit and we released him, but he's, he's now back. 
uh, in Major League Baseball and thriving, doing really well. So, I mean, that was his journey, but he understood what he needed to do um, in improving himself. So, you know, you just need a a great leader um, like our our former GM, Billy Epler. He he was phenomenal um, to say, hey, you know, strength matters. Training matters. When we start seeing these these things um, happen, we need to take the player out. We need to work with them. We need to get them better. You guys need to need to have a chance to, you know, get them in the in the body shop. So, you know, he he made an analogy that, you know, the 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 player is the car, the coach is the driver, you know, the the strength staff, you know, is the the pit crew. Um, and the trainers or the pit crew, you know, we, we got to improve the car. So if you're giving the pit crew some time to work with the athlete, you can really advance performance. And, and he was amazing. I mean, we did some things like putting a player on the injured list when they lost more than seven pounds of muscle mass. You know, and most teams, they wouldn't think about doing that. They're just like, oh, just eat more. You know, we're not we're not going to take a top prospect out of the lineup because he weighs less. Body's not hurting. He's playing, you know, competing well. Um, but our organization is really forward thinking and say, hey, this guy's got to be on a mass program. This is unacceptable. Um, and we had other better data uh, around strength and power that we could use to communicate why this is important. But um, all those there, there are many cases like this, many cases that Jordan and I have been you know, working independently on and together. Um, and it just it just takes great leadership to be able to you know, recognize what the player needs. So I've got a question for you. So, you know, you recognize the situation, you decide we're going to put together this development plan. Most of these cases, they've got, they're already doing typical training and work like that. How do you balance this extra workload? Obviously, you can't just throw it on top and just say, well, now you're doing, you know, twice as much work as you were before to get better. How do you, how do you handle that? I mean, I could take a stab at this because we we got a lot of pushback um, in professional baseball, but we brought the kids out of competition for 10 to 14 days. We realized, one, they needed the recovery, so we had to provide it to them. And we also needed the time to concentrate on this program. And most of our programs were really condensed because we knew they needed to recover. We, We developed a recovery throwing protocol that they, you know, they wouldn't lose their ability to enter back in games. Um, but that was a big change. We had a recovery process for our arm care and our, and a testing window. We, we, you know, we told the athlete when they were going to test and we had these benchmarks and we talked about this evaluation strategy, but we had to have these benchmarks to be able to say, okay, he's good to go. You know, we had to make the player aware and the communication was really challenging the optics of it because the players would say, oh man, they're shutting us down. You know, they're shutting me down. And it was a very negative thing, but we created the communication stream to talk about building them up. We needed a chance to build up the player. And uh, as soon as the staff got really unified on saying, you know what, we are building you up. That's the goal of these programs. You know, yes, you're coming out of competition, but there's a purpose for them. Um, But you're right, Bart, like you can't add more. And, and a lot of times that's what happens in programs. They even strength programs, I see it, they're adding more. They're trying to do too many things in a program and it just challenges their nervous system and it challenges their their cognitive loading, you know, makes the athletes just psychologically fatigued. So, you know, you need to have some give and take there. 
Yeah, and when you say you were taking them out of competition, just to give some clarity on that, they're still doing live VPs. They're still throwing bullpens. It's just we're lowering the volume of what they're doing. They're still performing at a high intensity. So even for some of the guys where they were still pitching in games, instead of being you know 95 pitches, we might have cut them down to a 45-pitch outing. So we're still getting them out there facing hitters, facing the other team. Or if it's you know a college setting to where you're in the fall, you may have to just skip that guy pitching competitively for a little bit to make sure he's recovered and ready to go. There's a million ways you can get it done, and each one of them is very context-specific. But the more you know that athlete, the better the communication is with that athlete, the easier it is to relay that. Awesome. So just want to reiterate the – you know, the what, why, and how plan. You got to know what you're going to do, why you're going to do it, and how you're going to make this change. And then you're going to objectively evaluate the results of that. And if you have to pivot, you have to be humble and pivot. Mm-hmm. Correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. You got All it. Right. Anything else you want to add? Nothing on my end. All right. Uh, that's it for this podcast. Until next time, um, definitely. Subscribe. Um, if you got questions, reach out to us on at armcare.com or on YouTube or wherever else and uh, submit your questions. We'd love to answer them and uh, may give us another idea for a topic for a podcast. Till next time, take care.